There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man whose baloney has a first name. It's O-S-C-A-R. He is the captain. Yeah, your baloney has a first name. It's T-U-R-D. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Today we are drinking Easy Eddie Hazy IPA by the good folks over at Big Grove Brewery. Easy Eddie says fresh and juicy right on the front of the can and that could not be more spot on. This is a dry hopped hazy IPA that is super flavorful and highly drinkable because of the tropical flavors of pineapple and mango garage grade four and a quarter bottle caps out of five. And how about some thanks and praise for our friends. Here's a cheers to Emily in Denver, Colorado. Allison. A big shout out to Allison in Bel Air, Texas. She's the, the prince of Bel Air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Next up, we have Megan in Seattle, Washington. And a big shout out to Elizabeth in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Next up, we have Kat in San Antonio, Texas. And last but certainly not least, we have Ashlyn in Grover, Missouri. Everyone that we just mentioned went to truecrimegarage.com and donated to this week's beer fund. And for that, well, we thank you. If you'd like to become a part of Parts Unknown, if you want to become a part of Parts Unknown, go to our store page and pre-order your Parts Unknown t-shirt today. It's only going to happen for a week, so get on it. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
KCRG TV 9's Julian Petrus joins us now. Julian, you were in Evansdale for today's news conference. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of new information that came out for today, but the main theme going into Monday is that this case is now being treated as an abduction. It is, Chris, and authorities say they have hard, strong evidence and gives them reason to believe that the girls were taken and that they are still alive. But the FBI cannot say much more beyond that information. What the FBI is saying is every little detail counts. That's why investigators are asking for anyone who visited Myers Lake on Friday the 13th before 3 o'clock in the afternoon to contact police. Even if you think you didn't see anything, what you think you don't know might end up bringing these girls home. Investigators say they need to know everything that happened near Myers Lake before 3 p.m. on Friday the 13th. Even if you think that you don't have any information that's important to this case, investigators want to talk to you. Federal authorities tell us a man recently told them he caught a glimpse of the girls' bikes while jogging around the lake. He didn't see the girls, but the information helped narrow down a timeline for their disappearance. He was able to pinpoint the time of the day that he saw the bikes. Small details of the, like this are really important to the investigation. We're told authorities don't want people to feel like they're bothering investigators. They tell us they are well equipped to handle the search. There is enough manpower to cover all the, the tips which may lead to good leads or good information. The tip lines are reportedly receiving several calls an hour about the missing girls. Investigators say they need the phones to keep ringing. Someone may have been out there taking pictures of, you know, bird watching or something and they may not think that's relevant, but we just ask for them to call. And, and we can talk to them. As for specific details surrounding the investigation? I can't answer that. I can't comment. I can't answer that. I can't answer that. Right, and I, I can't answer that. All authorities can tell us is they feel confident the girls are alive and to not give up hope for a safe return. Some of the details the investigators could not tell us involved questions surrounding the families, whether or not they have any suspects or if any search warrants have been issued. And of course, they could not share with us what information is leading them to believe these girls are still alive. All of this, authorities say, might hurt their investigation. In the summer of 2012, Elizabeth Collins lived with her parents and siblings in Evansdale, Iowa. This is a small Midwestern town of 4,700 residents that is a suburb of the much larger Waterloo-Cedar Falls metropolitan area. Evansdale is a blue-collar town. Many residents are involved in agriculture production in some manner. Elizabeth attended Pointer elementary and was described by her mother as a bubbly little person who was always active and busy. She was eight years old and loved girly stuff like having her nails done, but also playing softball and hockey and riding her bike. One of her best friends was her cousin, Lyric Cook, age 10, who lived just minutes away in Waterloo. Lyric went to Kingsley Elementary and also was a very active, outgoing girl who loved bowling, cheerleading, gymnastics, and just being outside in general. Well, it's great when one of your best friends can be a family member as well, and their mothers are sisters. That's correct. We have Lyric and Elizabeth's mothers are Misty Cook and Heather Collins. And Heather and her husband, Drew Collins, they seem to be 
like your very typical American family. They're hardworking people, religious, their parents just raising a bunch of children, really. And Heather had her hands full as they had several young kids, but she also had some undisclosed health issues around this time as well. So her mother, Wilma, would come over for about four or five hours almost daily to help out around the house and help with the children. Heather's sister, Misty, was also married to a man named Dan Morrissey. But in 2012, Misty and Dan were estranged and had been separated for years. In fact, Dan was out on bail pending trial for four separate criminal cases, this from 2011, which included assaulting Misty and significant drug charges, including manufacturing meth. Yeah, he's a real winner, winner, chicken dinner. He's Yeah. <laughs> well, he went into the meth manufacturing industry. Now, Misty, back in 2003, she got into trouble as well, this for drug charges, to which she pled guilty and was released in 2006. In July of 2012, when our story takes place, she was still on federal supervised release at that time. Misty and Dan's daughter, Lyric, lived with Misty and Heather's mom, Wilma Cook. So Wilma Cook, grandma, is helping out quite a bit uh, with both families. Lyric lived in Waterloo at Wilma's house, and Wilma had permanent custody of Lyric. Lyric and her cousin Elizabeth played together nearly every day. Now keep in mind, because she's living with grandmother, grandmother's going over to help out at her cousin's house almost daily she brings her along the cousins all play together right but it's also a way to help her out yeah so on friday the 13th this is july 13th 2012 misty cook morrissey was staying with her mom wilma and her daughter lyric in waterloo she left for work that day at 8 30 a.m this was a new job at a gas station slash convenience store called casey's And it sounds to me, Captain, like Casey's was a popular chain with several locations. Misty worked at one which was about two miles away from the Collins' house in Evansdale. So keep in mind, she's not very far away when we're talking about being gone at work. Now, after Misty left, Wilma took Lyric over to the Collins' house. Both Heather and Drew Collins were going to be gone for the day, so Grandma Wilma was going to be watching the kids and brought Lyric with her as usual. Lyric and Elizabeth set off around 11.30 a.m. for a bike ride. Now, this was something that they typically did. I mean, this was very routine stuff here, and the girls were expected to stay within a short distance of the house. They're unsupervised, but they're not to be venturing off very far from the home. Right. Although it does not seem that there were any like real specific rules. It's just kind of these understood rules from grandma to, to the grandkids. They always stayed according to grandma and the parents. The kids always stayed within yelling distance and would check in about every 15 minutes or so. People are probably thinking back to their neighborhoods growing up. I remember, I thought it was neat. One of my neighbors growing up, they had like, um, what I would call dinner bell, but you know, they didn't use it just for dinner, but anytime the kids were out playing, they wouldn't shout for them. They would ring the bell and the kids would come in Mm. this situation. Lyric and Elizabeth, if grandma or mom or dad came outside, they're out on their bikes. 
keep in mind, they're supposed to be within yelling distance. You shout their names, boom, they come riding right back to the house. Often Elizabeth's older brother, his name is Kelly. He was 12 at this time. He would typically go with them, but not on this day. And at some point, Heather returned to the house. The exact timing of this is in dispute. In some interviews, Heather says it was around noon, but Wilma has said that Heather came home closer to 1230. So a discrepancy in time, but they're not they're not off big time. there. So right? almost an hour after the girls left. Correct. It has been reported consistently that Wilma told police that she saw the girls zipping by on their bikes around 1215 and that Heather was not home at this time or had not returned to the house at that time. So by this timeline, the girls were last seen by a family member at 1215 and Heather arrived home shortly after that. The girls were to be back at the house shortly after Heather had returned. So for argument's sake, Captain, we're going to say like 1230 to 1 p.m. ish is when the girls were were to return to the house. Mm-hmm. So at 1 p.m. ish, Heather set out with her older son. Remember, this is Kelly, the 12 year old to scout the area. They were looking for the girls to tell them, hey, it's time to come home. But he returned home reporting that he could not find them anywhere. And at this point. Drew stopped home, the the father, which he often did during his work day. You know, he would come home maybe for lunch. Mm-hmm. Heather told him that she was going out to look for the girls and she got in her car. This is at 1.20 p.m. and started driving around the neighborhood. By 2 p.m., we have five adult family members all out looking for these two girls. So very quick to react. Misty, Lyric's mother, says Wilma called her at work around 2 p.m. to tell her that they could not find the two girls. Misty called her ex, Dan Morrissey, who was living in Waterloo. Dan and his mother and his 15-year-old son, they all drove to Evansdale to help look for the girls. So now we got a small army of people looking for the girls. Misty left work and went over to her sister's house. Remember, it's just a short distance away. By 2.30, all of these adults and some children are all out driving all over Evansdale looking for the two girls. At some point, somehow, they ended up at this place called Myers Lake. This was around 2.45. They started asking people whether they had seen two little girls on bikes. One man walking on the trail told them he did see two little girls on bikes going west on the bike trail but the time was unclear he you know i saw them i don't know exactly what time i saw them meanwhile heather went to the evansdale police department most reports have the time of her in-person visit to the evansdale police department at 2:48 p.m. according to the waterloo cedar falls courier which we relied on extensively for research on this case quote within minutes of authorities learning of the disappearance of lyric cook morrissey and elizabeth collins three evansdale squad cars were scouring the area and checking the home within half an hour the search mushroomed with four blackhawk sheriff's deputies 
and Evansdale firefighters joining in on the efforts. And now you might have noticed in there that they said checking the home. And that might sound weird to some people, but you would be shocked how often a child is reported missing and then they find the kid inside the home. Mm -hmm. You know, the kid is hiding, the kid fell asleep somewhere and you just, you thought they were outside and overlooked them. It can be embarrassing, but obviously that's what you want to happen when you call and you're begging for help because you can't find your children. You want some stupid answer to be the solution to the problem. That is not the case here. Well, and sometimes kids want to hide to scare their family. Oh, we'll, we'll hide and we'll be in the closet. And when they call for us, oh, just don't come. Well, there's some bad news here, Captain, because around 4 p.m., a firefighter found the girls' bikes. This is a bad sign. Lying on the Evansdale Nature Trail at Myers Lake. Mm-hmm. The bikes were lying on the paved bike trail at the far southeastern corner of the lake. Now, Myers Lake covers 27 acres with water and is about 25 feet deep at its deepest parts. The lake is a major recreation area for the people of Evansdale. It is stocked with fish. It has a boat ramp. There's bathrooms there, a playground, picnic areas, grills, that paved bike path that we talked about. The paved bike path winds its way around three quarters of the way around the lake. So this is a fairly big bike path, right? A little bit of, uh, of a discussion about geography, I think, is in order here. The Collinses lived at 166 Braven Boulevard in Evansdale. The distance from the Collins's house on, on Braven Boulevard to Myers Lake is only 1.5 miles. The Evansdale Nature Trail, on which the girls' bikes were found, starts at Lafayette Road in downtown Evansdale. This is just a block away from the Collins's house. Right. The trail then runs south past the skate park and crosses Arbutus Avenue. Then the trail turns west through a short wooded area and leads to Myers Lake. The trail follows the southern shore of the lake and, as said, runs three-quarters of, of the way around the lake. So on a map, this portion of the trail would look like a, like a sideways U, ending at Elmer Avenue on the lake's north side. There is an offshoot of the trail that goes straight north and then connects with Gilbert Avenue right near the Advanced Automotive Store. The, the trail then runs back east along Gilbert Drive and reconnects up with the north-slash-south portion of the trail through downtown. I know that sounds all very confusing to listen to and kind of go through. There are maps that are regularly available on if you simple Google search. Mm-hmm. use uh, with our two victims names and if you just type in map with that uh, it will bring it up and it will also th- the maps that I saw clearly indicate where their home is as well as where the bikes were found just like we pointed out in the Delphi case because of where those bodies were found the Monon High Bridge area the recreation area I think it's very important if you want to have a clear understanding of this case and maybe the possible theories or outcomes that 
that you take a look at these at this map. But what you're saying is that this path goes through town. It's not secluded from town. Right. So most of the locations of this trail, you would expect to see other people there. You know, Myers Lake is heavily trafficked. There's lots of people in and out of there all the time. It's a big recreational area. The trail, as you just said, Captain, does go through town. I did want to point out how close uh, one portion of the trail is to the Collins's home. Because the argument here is where the bikes were found is a distance away from the home that the parents said they, they would have never, the girls would have never have gone there. They never had known them to go there to travel that far or to even travel to Myers Lake. Now, could they have? Every day these kids are getting older, they get a little more adventurous, certainly. But the parents really questioned why and how the bikes were found in this area. Mm-hmm. So there are a few areas along the trail where a vehicle could park close to the trail. There are some areas that are wooded. So there are a couple of secluded spots along the way. The girls' bikes were found on Evansdale on the nature trail right at the southeastern tip of the lake along a line of chain link fence. This portion of the trail runs near I-380. So this is a major roadway. Mm-hmm. But from my understanding and, and the way that it, it appears to me on the map, Captain, it would be difficult for somebody to park alongside I-380, venture up to where the bikes were found, snatch the girls, and then bring them back to their vehicle. That would be very difficult. There was a hole in this chain link yeah, fence. You don't you don't have to get out of the car. You just have, you have to get the victims to come closer to the car. That would that would be true. I don't know why the girls would venture beyond that chain link fence down to a major roadway. It just doesn't seem like I'm not saying it couldn't happen. It doesn't seem like a likely scenario. We also don't have anybody coming forward saying, "Hey, I saw a vehicle parked on the side of I-380." Mm-hmm. What is interesting though, this area where the bikes were found is right by a maintenance gate that leads to a water outlet on the lake. This gate is not a locked gate photos show that this area of the paved nature trail is straight with the fence on both sides and the trees are overhead. It has like almost like a a tunnel appearance. According to the girl's family, the bikes were about 12 feet from the edge of the water on the trail. And investigators also found Elizabeth's purple purse and cell phone. Now note this phone did not have service. It was just, it was a real cell phone, but she just used it for like games and to, to play on. Right. The purse and cell phone were thrown over the fence onto the lakeside. Now, here's how it was described on Nancy Grace's show by her reporter, Jim Spellman. He says it's a densely wooded area with freeway on one side, mm-hmm. a fence, which he says is a pretty tall fence, then the bike path then another fence, and then the water. The girls' bikes were found on the bike path between the two fences, and the purse was found on the lake side of the trail between the fence and the shoreline. Hmm. So that's where the big question is, what were the girls' bikes doing by Myers Lake anyway? As we pointed out, this is not exactly close to their home. Well, the big cause for concern for me is you got these missing girls, but it's not just the bikes 
if we have the bikes somewhere, you go, okay, well, maybe they ran into somebody, somebody stole the bikes, or maybe they left the bikes behind, they went somewhere else. But right when you see that purse and that cell phone, even though, like you said, it's not a working cell phone, you go, okay, that's, that's cause for alarm. Yeah, this, this is not something that the girls would have ditched, even if they would have ditched their bikes for some reason, which would be strange. But to get rid of the purse in the this cell phone mm-hmm. seems not likely at all. Now, this lake is not a swimming lake. I do want to point that out because they're, the first suspicion by law enforcement and by firefighters was because of where the bikes were found, maybe these girls drowned in the lake. The parents were quick to point out, look, both of them can swim and swim very well. Right. They agreed that, of course, yeah, we got to we gotta check this out. But they kept pointing out they didn't seem to think that that would be very likely. And then you take that a step further. If there was some type of accident and one of them drowned, that's one person. We, we, we have two missing children here. So there's no sign of the girls. There's no sign of the clothing that they were wearing at the time, including their shoes. All of this is missing. So that's the another thing that the family points out, that they would expect to see the shoes of these girls near the shoreline had they chose to get in the water for some reason. Well, and back to the purse, though. If, if you were meeting up with somebody you knew or got into a car with somebody you knew, you would take your purse. True. And... The other thing that that really scares me is the, it always scares me with the leaving of the bikes because I just think back to my childhood. That's not something that I would have done. I was always worried somebody was going to take my bike. So I, I feel like if you're out and about and your kids, most of the time you're going to use that bike to get yourself around. When you have a My Little Pony bike that's mint, I mean, you're going to be nervous that somebody's going to steal it. This is all stuff that was reported in the newspaper. So other than the bikes, the purse, and the phone that was all found at this location, if anything else was located there by police or firefighters, it has never been disclosed to the public. The following timeline was provided to the media by Kent Smock, who at the time was the police chief of Evansdale. He says by 4.40 p.m. on Friday the 13th, emergency calls went out to Evansdale residents to notify them of the missing girls. Officers began canvassing the lake neighborhoods, and the media was notified by 5.30 p.m. Boats were put into the water on Myers Lake to begin scanning the surface, and divers with a local search and rescue organization were called in to search the lake. Surrounding city police and firefighters, Blackhawk County Sheriff's deputies, and Iowa State Police joined Evansdale PD in searching wooded areas. A plane with special infrared was brought in to search from the air, and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children was notified of the girls' disappearance by 8 p.m. Disturbing Interest. It's a Terrible Mysteries, Horrible Histories podcast hosted by Regina King, the Evil Queen, and Lynn Roskamp, the Docent of Darkness. Lovers of true crime and history alike will appreciate this bi-weekly podcast. The ladies do their research, but they like to put a comic spin on things because sometimes all we can do is laugh 
in the face of the disturbing. Disturbing Interest Podcast, what's so great is the ladies do their research, but they don't take themselves too serious. And just after one episode, you're going to think that Regina and Lynn are your new best friends. The banter between the two ladies is hilarious. You can find Disturbing Interest on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, CastBox, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Give them a chance. You might learn something while being entertained. Plus, with them, you might be disturbed, but you're not alone. Check out Disturbing Interest Podcast today. Finding the perfect present for mom is tough, especially if you don't have the luxury of celebrating Mother's Day together in person. But you can gift your mom the chance to connect with loved ones through StoryWorth. StoryWorth is an online service that helps your loved ones share stories through thought-provoking questions about their memories and personal thoughts. It's a fun and meaningful way to engage with family, especially with relatives that you might not see that often. Every week, StoryWorth emails your family member different questions, questions you may never have thought of, like, what has been some of your life's greatest surprises? Reading the weekly stories is fun and makes your family feel close, even if you're not together. And after one year, this is the best part. StoryWorth will compile the answers and photos into a beautiful keepsake book that's shipped for free. This is a book of stories and photos that your family will cherish forever. Give your mom the most meaningful gift this year with StoryWorth. Get started right away without the need for shipping by going to storyworth.com TCG. You'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com TCG for $10 off. All right, we're back. Cheers. Cheers to you, Mr. Captain. Mm-hmm. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children had a representative on the ground in Evansdale by the next morning. This person began emailing and faxing photos of the girls to businesses, truck stops, and retail locations within a 100-mile radius. The Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation, DCI, and FBI both arrived and began interviewing people as well as looking into registered sex offenders in the area. 30 FBI agents and 15 DCI agents joined this search. The FBI's child abduction response team was also on site. A nearby creek, surrounding woods, and a city campground were all searched in the coming days. These 12-mile radius large-scale searches included cornfields and farmland, rivers, ponds, abandoned buildings, wooded areas, and other public places. Cars were stopped at police checkpoints in the days after the disappearance, searching car trunks and asking drivers to be on the lookout for the girls. All dumpsters were searched, and the Blackhawk County landfill was instructed to set aside trash collected from Evansdale for two full weeks. For a full week, the nearly round-the-clock searches, interviews, evidence collection, and information gathering proceeded full steam ahead. This is a large effort, and it appears to be a well-oiled machine. 
everybody acting in unison looking for these girls. Well, they did a lot of extensive searches on the actual lake. Yes, they did. Uh, and in fact, just within hours of the girls' bikes being found, the order was given to drag the lake. And after two days of dragging, nothing was found, but investigators decided it was in their best interest to actually drain the lake to be sure that they weren't missing anything. Yeah, they didn't dr- drain it completely, but they drained it enough to help the search, but nothing was found. And unfortunately, the families, both families, very early on believed that the girls had been abducted. On the 17th, FBI bloodhounds were brought in to track the girls' scent. Police refused to comment on the dog's findings, but a family member said on Nancy Grace, quote, I watched the bloodhounds continue on into this dense forest area, which is about 400 yards. I watched them go into that area and they positively identified both girls were at that location. Mm. If you continue on down the bike trail east, there is about approximately 400 acres of forest, dense forest to the left side. And that is where the dogs continued on to and picked up the, the girl's scents. And that's kind of where it went cold for the dogs. That is where the investigator stopped, according to this family member. Well, again, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me because if you have these two children, let's just say they're going to put their bikes down and go into the woods. Why wouldn't you take your purse with you? You yeah. think that you think that'd be something that the girls would take with them. It's very difficult because both of the, these locations, one where the bike is found and two, two where the, the scent is found located of both girls or believed to be anyway, these aren't ideal locations for, grabbing a child and pulling them into your vehicle. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're just not. And so it's difficult. And you know, I've jokingly said this several times before, but unfortunately the dogs can't talk. So we don't know exactly what it is that they believe they were hitting on. Now we did see, I saw video footage of them having them sniff the, the girl's shoes, some other pairs of the girl's shoes. So that's what they were trying to trace. But Right. We obviously can't confirm that that's what was actually going on because it seems it seems to be a weird location, right? Like you remove if you're the abductor, you remove them from their bikes or they get off their bikes on their own and then they go out into the middle of this wooded area and then they just vanish into thin air. Right. So an FBI spokeswoman said that the dog's detection of the girl's sense indicated a strong possibility. That was her exact word, strong possibility that the girls had been there, meaning that it was likely that the girls had been on the scene at the lake rather than their bikes and possessions being planted there by their abductor. The bikes were processed for prints and other evidence, but police will not say if anything was found. Police quickly started the time-consuming task of interviewing all of the family members. The family was initially completely cooperative with police. Investigators were granted permission by both families to search any of the houses that they were living in or had lived in without having to obtain a search warrant. But we have two different families, basically. We have one family that seems to be doing the right thing and, and... 
upstanding citizens and, and, and then the other family that seems to be getting into a lot of trouble. Two, two of the parents on the one side, yes, struggling with some drug issues. Yeah. They did take some of their computers. Their cell phones were searched. But as police dug deeper, they could not ignore the criminal past of both Misty and Dan. Remember, Dan was a big-time meth manufacturer and dealer. Yeah, and that puts him around a cast of characters that that could be harmful to his family. If he owes somebody money, if he sold bad drugs to them, this could put his uh, family into danger. Yes, and this is seeming like a likely scenario to police. Remember, he's out on bail when the girls went missing. Well, he's a real piece of shit. On the day before the girls disappeared, Dan appeared in court, and instead of taking a plea, I I believe that everybody assumed he was going to be taking a plea at that time. But instead, Dan opted to proceed with an actual trial. Dan and Misty put on a united front at this time, holding hands and even staying together in a motel rather than going to their respective homes. This is also believed to be to avoid the media. This despite the restraining order Misty had against Dan and the fact that they had been separated for years. The two went along with the investigation for the first few days, but then things changed. It seems that Evansdale police suspected that Dan was either capable of harming his daughter and niece, or at the very least, he might know who was responsible. In fact, according to his sister-in-law, Tammy, who spoke with ABC News, she says, quote, they have accused him. They told him they had proof that he did it, end quote. There was also a report that Dan abruptly ended a police polygraph session after investigators accused him of injuring the girls and knowing where they were. After this debacle, Dan and Misty hired an attorney, and this attorney advised them to stop talking to police or the media. Yeah, but think about how shady that is. Uh, We're asking you a bunch of questions. We're doing a polygraph. One of the questions are going to be, did you hurt these girls or do you know who hurt the girls? And you then stop the test. You knew these questions were coming and you then stop the test. All this is bullshit. You're going to ask me questions like this. I mean, that, that just comes off as very shady to me. It does come off as shady. It's also, I mean, it's just difficult with what these people are going through. And then you feel like you're being accused. Some people, it is a natural reaction to kind of fly off the handle and react to that. It's difficult, man. It, this this whole thing is. Just I understand that all it's difficult, around. but it's it's the parents that say, or people involved in, in missing person cases that say, "Look, I understand that because I was close to this individual, I am going to be looked at. Look at me as hard and fast as you want to get to other actual options." Because I know I didn't do anything. You know what I mean? So I, I understand it's difficult, but if you really want to help the situation. But I think you're going to see time and time again that this individual is is about himself, preserving himself. Well, what you are a level-headed person, and what you're talking about is— Don't make a, fun of my head. 
is a, a thought out good decision. What we have here is a man who has shown a history of making bad decisions. So, well, he also claims that once that she went missing, he started hitting, he took back to meth pretty hard during this time. On Tuesday, the 17th, Chief Deputy Rick Abin of the Black Hawk County Sheriff's Office held a press conference saying that authorities had been grasping for straws in their search for the girls, but it was as if they had just disappeared into thin air. He said, quote, it wouldn't be proper for me to stand here and tell you we have a theory because we don't. He goes on to say, we have two missing girls and we have no idea why. He stated, we have no reason to believe there was any foul play at this time. And he also said, everyone is a suspect until we find something. Now, now what's your thought on press conferences like this? Because sometimes they come out and they tell people, we know nothing. We have no theory. And it's almost like uh, a plea for help. And then sometimes I think even when they don't have anything, they come out and they come out a little more confident. If you're leading an investigation like this, what do you think your tactic would be? Well, I would be, look, I, I believe you need to strategize really with your delivery of anything to the public, especially if you have things that you're working on, if you have leads in this investigation or suspicions. If you don't have leads or suspicions, then I would go the route of being as candid as possible and telling the public, we don't know anything. I don't think it's it's any kind of downfall. I actually think that it's a it's a good, smart move to say, hey, we don't know anything because we've seen this. Look, we're, we're four days into the search for these girls now. We've seen how the rumor mill starts to go right. where people – People sitting in bars or sitting at work or, or talking to one another in town are saying, oh, yeah, the, I heard they found those girls. Or, oh, yeah, and you start getting all this bad information that swirls around in the community, and they need the public to know we don't know where they are and we don't have a lead. So if you know something or even if you just think you saw anything at all that you question and it has nothing to do with the girls, let us know. We're grasping at straws. Let's talk about the last known sightings of the girls. This on Friday the 13th. Remember the girl's grandmother, Wilma Cook, last saw the girls riding their bikes behind Linderman's Big and Tall. This is located at 3524 Lafayette Road at about 12.15 p.m. The rear of the Collins' house looked out through a gap in the buildings on the block behind, so she would have been able to see the girls riding their bikes on Lafayette Road from the Collins's backyard. Surveillance camera footage from a business called Cornbell Auctions, this is located at 3520 Lafayette Road, captured the two on their bikes riding at 12.11 p.m. But, and I, I hate to chuckle during this, but the business owner said that the cameras were about eight minutes behind. <laughs> making the sighting more likely being at 12:19 p.m. Look, I I just admire the business owner coming forward and saying we know that they're behind. We monitor it with the understanding that they're 8 minutes behind, but still But if you know they're 8 minutes behind when you fix them. Still, we've been we've been doing this for 5 years in the garage, captain, and we are yet to have a surveillance camera footage that has the right time. Right. It, it will never me, happen. And now makes me question every footage I've ever seen because even like with the now with the Brian Schaefer 
footage, a lot of people believe that was the correct time. But now it makes me question that. Yeah, to this point, I need proof. You got to prove to me that it was that the was correct the right time. time. <laughs> often uh, it is not. Yeah, but and then they're going to take this tactic because now, hey, we got video footage of the girls and we have other businesses that we can check. Well, what's cool about this is if you suspect anything going on from the grandmother or if anything weird may have happened at the house, you can verify that a portion of her story is absolutely correct. Right. You know, I last saw them roughly at this time. You can spin it a, a minute to a minute or two forward or backwards, but all about that time is, is happening. What she said is happening. We have video proof of that. Now, this location is just a block. It's less than a block from the Collins's home. The girls were biking in a direction away from the lake at this time that the footage was shot. Right. According to iowacoldcases.org, the girls were next seen at 12.23 p.m. on Bravin Boulevard, and then again sometime between 12.30 and 1 p.m. on Gilbert Drive, not far from Myers Lake. Right, but, but they're both times heading towards the direction of the lake. On these accounts, they may have been, but on the, with, on the video footage, they're heading in the direction away from the lake. Mm-hmm. But I also want to be clear about this because we cannot confirm, we cannot verify any of these last two sightings. And it does not seem to be in other reports about the case. So I want to just make sure everybody knows that going forward. What we do have, though, is a man named Robert Carpenter. He's an Evansdale resident who lived about two blocks from Myers Lake. He came forward and told police he saw the girls while he was out watering his yard. They biked by him sometime between noon and 1 p.m. This is according to an ABC article. Carpenter lives at 1020 Lake Avenue. If this is really was the girls riding by they were close to the area where the bikes were eventually found right another witness ted gammerdinger i apologize <laughs> to ted but i that's how his name is spelled in my notes I apologize to his family the the gamma dingers are are great yeah. people mm-hmm. the upstanding citizens of iowa you have to be with a name like that well ted g was what we're going to go with okay. he is living in waterloo he's a cyclist who often rode the evansdale nature trail he is a good guy he goes to police and he says this is when they're searching the woods along mm-hmm. the trail he told them that he saw two kids bikes on the trail on Friday the 13th, but no sign of the girls. So he sees the bikes, but does not see the girls. Right. He said, quote, I saw the bikes lying on the path and had to swerve to miss them. He placed this time that he saw the bikes at approximately 1220 based on a phone call he made to his daughter soon after at 1227. So of course, Gammerdinger's, sighting and the surveillance footage from the auction house cannot both have the times correct, but we know that both could be askew a bit, right? Right. The girls could not have been on Bravin Boulevard at 1219 and then already have been abducted on the trail and bikes left there at 1220 PM. It's just not physically possible. Now this next part has to be taken with a grain of salt. Because it involves both Facebook posts and unverified sightings of the girls. 
One person posted that her son, a cashier at the Fairway store on South Evans Road, he was questioned by police twice. This was because he told police he gave the girls directions to Myers Lake that day. His statements were supposedly backed up by a coworker. The Evansdale Nature Trail commences literally right next to this grocery store on Lafayette Road and runs directly south to the lake. So this seems like a very likely possibility. Mm-hmm. If this was the two girls we're looking for, it makes sense that it would be that they would be right at the at the fairway just a block and a half from home, but it is perplexing that they would be asking for directions to the lake. They're so close to the lake. They Right. Because of a couple of things. They're young, so I believe that they may have needed or required directions to get to the lake if that's where they wanted to go. But again, we still have grandma and mom and dad, the responsible ones, pointing out that the kids were not allowed to go there. It was too far from the house. Now, you said that she had a cell phone. The thing that I couldn't find, which maybe you found, was any activity of the kids being involved with any social media because or or any uh, contacts as far as like were they able to text people and the reason why I bring this up is because I, I really question when the parents and the grandparents are saying hey this is not this is too far they wouldn't have gone that far because they only stayed within a distance that they would be able to hear us yell well the lake is too far from there they're not going to be able to hear their their grandma yell. Right. So why is there a reason they were going there? Was there somebody that they're going to meet up? And 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 so, but I haven't heard anything of that. I mean, when you look at like the Delphi case or or Brian Schaefer case or or any missing person case, we, we normally have some kind of record, but they're normally older individuals. Well, I'm glad you bring that up because some stuff on web sleuths, uh, which is quite interesting. There's several sleuthers on there that have theorized that Lyric, so she's the older of the two, right? Right. She was hanging out with an older cousin the week before and seems to, that they got in trouble for coming home late. So now the sleuthers are taking that a step further and saying, could she being the older one, maybe she's more adventurous by this time is she the one pushing for the trip to the lake? Maybe they're not meeting anybody there, but maybe she thinks she's going to get her, you know, I went there last week with my older cousin. Right. Now I'm going to be the older cousin and take my younger cousin there for a quick trip to the lake. That's a good idea though. I mean, that's, that's a plausible theory. It is. And the thing is too, we don't have anybody, any friends coming forward saying, Hey, I did. I was going to meet them at the lake which I, I think we would have considering that, that they need all the help they can get looking for these two girls. No, what I'm saying is like an online predator, somebody that's oh, yeah. luring Catfished. them out. Yeah, you know, hey, uh, oh, yeah, you, you seem like a nice person. You meet in a chat room or something. Oh, I, I know that lake. Let's meet by that lake. I'd like to meet you sometime. Yeah, and if the girls didn't fully know or understand how far away the lake was, there's a good chance they thought maybe they could go there and make it back in time and not get into trouble with with mom and dad. Right. The other thing you have to consider, and I know we've been kind of dancing around this a little bit, but 
But we like to dance. The, right. The The truth of it is, <laughs> look, whether or not the girls actually even made it to the lake depends on how much faith you put in the tracking dogs. Right. And we know that the bikes, the purse, and the phone were found there. But again, looking at it on a map, it to me, it seems like a strange place to abduct the children. I, what I can't shake, Captain, is the feeling, is this were the bikes and the purse planted there mm-hmm. or is this the site of the abduction? Again, it could be not far off. They could have been abducted a, a couple blocks over and and then this is where the, the person decided to dump the bikes. Right. So six days after the girls were last seen, police were still not calling the disappearance an abduction. The day after the girls went missing, Evansdale Police Chief Kent Smock told the media that the case was being treated as a suspicious disappearance. Media outlets theorized that a double abduction, one in which two girls were taken at once, would be very unlikely. You and I have been doing this long enough. We know that to be the case. And Police Chief Smock told the media that this is so rare for an abductor to take two children at a time, they weren't really working under that abduction theory by this point. But a week out on the 20th, Chief Smock, his notes indicate, quote, focus turns fully to abduction as other causes were eliminated. Mm-hmm. I think this also has a lot to do with the lake. You were talking about the lake being searched, dragged, drained, so on and so forth. I think that, that they wanted to fully eliminate that before they went into full abduction yeah, I mean, FBI sends out special divers. They they clear the lake. At that point, I think all roads point to something bad happened. Right. Other, other than a bad accident in the lake. And this is where things get sad because now we have a big shift in gears where we have the sheriff's office are saying some evidence has been found we don't know what that is, you and I, Captain. We don't know what that is. But this, these items that they're calling evidence were sent to the DCI crime lab for analysis. They go on to say if they, meaning the girls, were lost in that area, they would have been found by now. So they've ruled out the lake. They've ruled out being lost in the area. Mm-hmm. And the, the officer goes on to reiterate that they had not cleared anyone Everyone is a suspect until we find these young girls, he said. And he announced that a $50,000 reward was being offered for information leading to the arrest and conviction of anyone involved with the abduction of the girls. But once they, like you said, they're kind of rolling out some stuff and that leads to the idea that they're, these girls are probably abducted. Okay, that's fair enough. But they're also stating that we believe that they're alive. And so even though time is passing and days are passing, it seems like law enforcement is like, we're not, and I I don't know if they were just trying to be safe by that, but it seems like they had some kind of evidence that these girls were still alive. That they were still alive or, or maybe that that's really interesting that you bring that up because I don't know what would give them the indication that the girls would still be alive because we have the FBI spokeswoman saying this on Friday the 20th. So a week later. Right. My my thought goes to they have no evidence that they're dead. 
So we're yeah. gonna we're gonna stay on this road of they're still alive. Now I don't know. I didn't come across this in this investigation, but I've seen it in other investigations of abductions of adults and children, especially children, and especially when you get younger children. That law enforcement will come out and say we believe them to still be alive, and then they will show the grieving parents crying on TV and saying, just drop them off at some public place and drive away. Right. And so maybe this is part of a plea to get somebody not to do something stupid. Often you, you want to be reminding the offender. Yes, you may have abducted these two girls, but it doesn't have to get worse than this. Yeah. But what's the likelihood? I mean, isn't more likely that, a child would be abducted, and within 48 hours, they're probably dead. Unfortunately, the statistics tell us that within two hours, most of them are, are dead right, if that, they're abducted by a stranger. And that's what I want to know. Why is law enforcement a week later saying, and then the FBI is saying a week I, I, later, they have something. They had they some could have information. Something, they could have something, but I, I have often heard law enforcement officials say, until we have proof that, that the person yeah, is yeah, dead. Yeah then we're, we're sticking with we are searching for a, a live person. On the 23rd of July, so we are 10 days after the girls vanished, BCSO Captain Rick Abin said that the couple's refusal, meaning Dan and Misty, refusal to talk to police has been problematic. He goes on to say, quote, it's a distraction for us, and why they wish to do that, I don't know. Abin said, we're asking for 100% cooperation. Why they don't want to do that, I have no idea. What is going on here? According to CNN, both Misty and Dan passed polygraph exams, and police cleared them based on this and their alibis. Misty was at work, and Dan was at home with his son, and this is backed up by his mother. It seems that police might have had a working theory that we've kind of talked about a bit that the dis the abduction of the girls was somehow related to Dan's drug connections. Right. The aunt of the girls, Tammy, this is the sister-in-law, said, quote, the children weren't exposed to those people. They were pretty much, for the most part, kept away from there. End quote. But that didn't stop the rumors from flying that maybe the girls were taken by someone connected to Dan, someone involved in his shady drug underworld. As you pointed out, maybe it's somebody that he wronged, that he owes money to. The Daily Mail said that the girls could have been abducted by drug dealers as payback for Dan's snitching. Remember, it was believed that he was going to work out a plea deal on all those drug charges for that trial that was going on right around the same time that the girls went missing. Right. The mail article said that Wilma told them it's possible her son-in-law made an enemy through his cooperation with police. Many were wondering about Dan suddenly deciding to go forward with a trial where he's going to face many years in prison rather than taking the plea deal the day before the girls were taken. This could be seen as suspicious. Blackhawk County Sheriff Tony Thompson said, quote, we're not ruling anything out with regard to the investigation to include Daniel Morrissey's criminal history, his known associates, any prior or future criminal activities. 
Now, although Dan himself was not considered a suspect, and this was the police's very words, not considered a suspect, it seems to many at the time, just 10 days into the disappearance of these girls, that it might have been easier to believe that there was a known suspect or reason that the girls had been taken rather than to believe the alternative that the girls were kidnapped at random by a stranger. want to thank you guys so much and remember if you want to be a part of parts unknown get your pre-order in today at truecrimegarage.com join us back here in the garage tomorrow until then be good be kind and don't litter This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.